Hello and welcome to the Beer Jet Podcast, episode five. I think it's five. Five, yeah, crikey, still at it. I am Luke. And I'm Matt. <laughs> and um, as usual, we're going to have a bit of a chat about beers this week. Nice one, Matt. We can't chat about beers if we're not drinking beers. Uh, Beer Jack is a shop on the internet and we're based in New Zealand and we do all kinds of other stuff around beers as well. Uh, but you can find us at beerjack.co.nz and on social media and things. But anyway, that's the important stuff. Have you been drinking much good beer this week, Matt? I've been drinking an unusual amount of good beer this week. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm always drinking good beer, but um, I've been drinking an unusual amount of very good beer this week. Cheers to that. There's a few beers that I've been had this week that I thought were really outstanding. The Abandoned uh, West Coast IPA uh, that they've just put out. Uh, it's their latest can release. And it's just a beautiful, light body. It's more in that new style of West Coast IPA, so it doesn't have that big malt sweetness. And just where it's got those real kind of punchy uh, hops, just as soon as you crack the can, you've got this massive waft of aroma, nice bit of bitterness, but... Uh, yeah, a bit stripped back in the malt base, so that was delicious. Beautiful, like a 2014 IPA. Yeah, 2014? Yeah, that was like the golden era of like good West Coast IPAs and lots of aroma and bitterness, I reckon. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the uh, IPAs of that region um, were still carrying a lot more of that old school malt character. Yeah. Whereas in the last couple of years, people have really stripped it back using more Pilsner malt than Ale malt. Mm. and uh, just allowing those hops to sing without any of that kind of biscuity sweetness that's more associated with the traditional West Coast stuff. I reckon it was probably Hopsicle Illusion from Liberty that was one of the first beers for me that was just really super light in colour and light in body. Yeah, well, they called that a double XPA, didn't they? I can't remember, but I think, it was, it I think was quite did. strong as well. Anyway, what else have you been drinking? Um, I had uh, a Gorky Park from 8 Wired, mm. so their new bourbon barrel imperial stout. Like... It's a big, powerful beer. Um, I mean, a lot of Imperial Stouts, I, I, I drink more than my fair share, and they're, 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 it's a pretty punchy style, but this one was just really hammered home that bourbon character. Even in the kind of perception in the mouthfeel, there was a kind of spirity kind of, almost thinness, but it's not a thin beer, but um, in that perception of it where it's that alcohol and bourbon really uh, kind of coats your mouth, um, and there's a predominant character there. I had uh, Jam Sessions from Altitude. It's their triple fruited sour with uh, blackberry, boysenberry, and raspberry. Um, I talked about it last week on the podcast as a new release, but I hadn't tried it at that point. And it is stunning, just really thick body that carries a bit of sweetness to it. And it's a really great example of these, uh, this new wave of kettle sours that are coming through that carry a heavy fruit load that um, just really amp up that, um, those real fruit levels, add, some, add that kind of uh, hammer home just the, the right amount of uh, sweetness the right amount of sharpness and uh, that was seriously impressive as well brilliant it's been a, a popular style out of england at the moment people it's almost a whole subgenre of the triple fruited sour yeah yeah we haven't seen that many in new zealand yet of these these fruited sours that just look like a smoothie in the glass yeah so kind of it's got that thickness to it on the pour for sure oh great stuff yeah good to uh Good to see Altitude pushing the boundaries. Yeah, definitely. And perhaps the most impressive beer I drank this week was Duncan's Toasty Marshmallow, mm. um, which is a 10.8% marshmallow, toasted marshmallow imperial stout. And it's rare that you see a beer that delivers just so completely on its premise. Um, so there was a video that was going around when they were making the beer of 
George with a big old blowtorch and a mash tun full of marshmallows. Uh, I'm not sure if it was the mash tun or the kettle actually, but just yeah, blowtorching like a shit ton of marshmallows in the kettle, and it just comes through. It's just from the first sip, it's like drinking a marshmallow. It's thick. It's got that kind of caramelization edge to it. So where you've stuck your marshmallow in the fire and you've got that kind of crunchy edge to it, but it's all gooey and molten inside, and it just absolutely delivers on on the premise in a really impressive way. Is that 10.2%? 10.8, I think. Crikey. Yeah, I was chatting to George yesterday. Uh, I gave him a call to ask him some questions about bananas. Uh, and he was, <laughs> we can get back to that at another point. We will. But he was saying that how, how proud he is and how it's just really come out exactly as he was expecting. So he was saying, I, I definitely need to try his new marshmallow beer. So I will try it this weekend. Yeah, well, he said the batch is completely sold out now. So um, get it while you can. It's uh, We only got a couple of cases. It's very limited, small batch. Uh, so I wouldn't expect to be seeing much of it around. It's going to get snapped up really quick. Sounds like a pretty delicious week of, of beer drinking. It was. What have you had? Mum. All about the mum. <laughs> so we had a very exciting week this week, dear listeners. It was the release of Reflection of Narcissus, which is a sequel to the first ever Small Gods beer that we brewed commercially with our mates down in uh, Miramar, Double Vision. So a couple of years ago, we released a beer called Black Narcissus, which was what a mum, so M-U-M-M-E. It's a beer style that I first read about when I was reading Samuel Pepys, who I'm sure you all know as the great diarist of London in the 16th century. He wrote about the, the plague and the great fire of London, and it was a bit of a shit, really. Have you ever read much of his stuff? No, not directly. I mean, I've, I've seen stuff attributed to him, but I haven't actually read any of his uh, first-hand stuff. Yeah, it, it's quite interesting the stuff that he chose to write in his diary about him, like sleeping with all of his maids and firing them and... And he was, yeah, a bit of a dishonest, dodgy sort of bloke, but just an amazing view of a real person at that time. Was he expecting the diary to be published? Well, that's it. I suppose a lot of people keep their secret dear diary. And uh, no, he, he wouldn't have been expecting it to be published. It would have been. And I guess um, it's always one of the interesting things about different mor- moral standards of an age. Yeah. Uh, so how much was he a shit in comparison to people uh, at the time? <laughs> I've got the view that most people in history seem like they were shits, so... Yeah, lots of gigantic shits. Yeah. Still a lot today, but, but also in history. Anyway, so he talks about him and his mate going and getting pissed up at the mum house in London. And there's a few references to this. And I looked at what mum was, and, and mum's a kind of beer from Braunschweig in Germany. And it only seemed to be sold in Braunschweig and also exported to London. And you had Schiff mum for the ships, which was strong. And then Stadt mum for the towns, which was uh, more easy drinking. And contemporary reports said that this was a a very viscous, thick beer that you needed to use a knife and fork to drink. A tarlite was the description, wasn't it? Yeah, that was one. And it was just incredibly bitter. And they used all kinds of botanicals. And this was sort of the early days of hops being commonly used in beers. Well, we got that um, list of botanicals on that uh, old recipe that we found. Um, and there was a bunch of interesting stuff on there um, that... I mean, we've, we've since tried to get hold of for both of these mums, stuff like uh, bog myrtle mm. and um, chocolate root and a, a few other interesting things. But it would have been a Groot at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, th- there were different varieties 
because uh, it also sort of split between Braunschweig and London. So the British ones were more grooty, so less hops, and in Germany they started putting hops in it. Because this this would have been around the time of the kind of uh, transition uh, to using hops in beer, wouldn't it? In those days, I believe an ale didn't need to have hops, but beer needed to have hops in it, or vice versa. I've definitely read about taxes and excises and how they were different drinks, and then they became one. Yeah. And... So we pieced together a recipe for Black Narcissus with the Double Vision Gang, but we, we found, I think, three different contemporary recipes. So, so no one's brewed a mum for about 500 years that we could find. Commercially, at least. That we, yeah, we couldn't see any other examples. Yeah. And so we pieced it together, but of course, how could we piece it together accurately when the, the recipe would say seven bushels of dark wheat? And it was kind of like, well, what, what is a bushel and how big is the brew length? And so we pieced together a mum as accurately as we could. And we used Blessed Thistle and Cardamom Pods. And that was Black Narcissus. And it came out at 12.5%. And we boiled it for... Six hours. And it reduced in volume by about a third, I think. Yeah, quite a lot. And um, one of the fun things about that beer was that um, it was so strong. It had so much grain in the mash that... Um, uh, when the kettle was full and we'd started boiling, um, there was still some what would be an, the work from a normal mash um, coming out from from the mash tun. So we managed to run off another few hundred liters, and um, we boiled that up separately and hopped it differently. And uh, the double vision lads uh, fermented it in a in one of their little pilot kit fermenters. So um, we got uh, the baby mum, uh, which after its long boil still came out at about eleven and a half percent. Just oh, just from the second running, so it's just only a little one. <laughs> Uh, well, we grabbed some yeast from the parrot dog guys to do that one, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We used uh, lager yeast. Lager yeast. So it was kind of a Baltic mum, I guess. Baltic mum sounds like a thing. <laughs> yeah, it is now. <laughs> uh, and the the blessed thistle that we used in that, I remember when we were trying to source uh, source the herb, we found a supplier of it who actually called us up just to to check on the huge volume that we bought of, uh, I think it was two kilos. And he said they'd actually never sold more than about 50 grams of Blessed Thistle. <laughs> and uh, we said, yeah, yeah, that's correct. And then they asked what we were using it for and uh, we said a beer. And and it turns out that people take Blessed Thistle uh, to help them with lactation, generally. And it's not really used for anything else because it tastes pretty gross. Yeah, well, it's, well it's the, it, we used it uh, for its bitter aspect. Um, mm. So with both of the mums that we brewed, we were aiming to that because there was such a huge variety of herbs and spices in there and we wanted to brew something that tasted good and having such a massive combination was a bit of a risk so we decided to uh, tune it down to the elements that we could control a little better but still be in keeping with the historical style so uh, one uh, bitter herbal element and one kind of more floral aromatic one in the cardamom and so but yeah by itself that bitterness is quite a lot and yeah it's not exactly pleasant in and of itself so it was a pretty savory beer and it won a gold medal at the brewers guild awards yes <laughs> which is pretty amazing uh so we decided to revisit mum i've been trying to persuade all brewers to make mums so if anyone's listening please make a mum i want to drink them all the time but eventually we made our own one again uh, with double vision which is uh the reflection of narcissus um, this time we mixed up the botanicals a bit, so it's basically the same base recipe, and then we changed the botanical additions to 
to Wormwood and Thyme. So again, we were going for that um, one bitter element and one floral element. And we went through a few different iterations. Um, we had some fun at the brewery. We uh, bought a bunch of herbs and spices and uh, made a few uh, teas and tinctures to see which would work best. And uh, we tried the Wormwood that we ended up using uh, as a tea. Very overpowering. Just awful. Mm. Just absolute garbage. Don't let this put you off the beer though. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we, we, we made a tea with it and it was just the most throat stripping, bitter, astringent, unpleasant mm. thing that one of the worst things I've ever drunk. Um, <laughs> but um, we ended up um, making a tincture with it. Um, so uh, infusing it in some alcohol instead, which um, kind of still uh, brought some bitterness, but it more, brought more of a kind of interesting, spicy, woody character coming through rather than that just overwhelming palate wrecking experience of, of the tea and then we tried a few other things we tried nutmeg we tried cinnamon uh, we tried sage mm. um, but sage is tasty it was tasty and that might you don't be surprised if you see that in a future mum but uh, it was time that we settled on because it just had this like in both the tea and the tincture that we made from it it was just so pungent and floral and aromatic it's beautiful yeah it was really interesting flavor that um, and yeah Again, we tried all these things in combination and the Wormwood and Thyme really kind of sang out as a kind of just interesting spicy floral herbal um, thing that we, we then uh, blended that uh, mixture with some iced out uh, <laughs> to see what it would be like in a big dark beer. And um, yeah, it just came out really nice and uh, complemented really well. Yeah, so we're super happy with that. It ended up being really quite a limited batch. It wasn't the most efficient brew. So we ended up with quite a few um, fewer kegs than we we're expecting. Uh, so grab yourself a can of that or find it at, well, it's not pouring many places to be honest, but you'll find cans at beerjet.co.nz and it's, it's a real good time. And yeah, keep an eye out at, for, at your next beer festival. Yeah. Anyway, that's what we've been drinking this week. I've been reading a book about yeast. Love a book about yeast. Yeah. Is it the yeast book? It's not the yeast book. I haven't read that yet. Uh, if anyone that's listening, there's a book that's called Yeast, which is in a uh, a brewer's quadrology yeah. of books. Yeah, malt, hops, yeast and water. And, and they each have a different author and yeah. uh, you, you see them on the, the bookshelves at most breweries. So no, I haven't read that yet. The book is called The Rise of Yeast, How the Sugar Fungus Shaped Civilization. Yeah. And I was a bit inspired by um, chatting with our good friend Mike Cheer that we brewed with twice in the past week actually so there's a couple more small gods collaborations coming out there's going to be a satanic trilogy to follow up satan 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 uh, so we'll be chatting about those in coming weeks but i actually interviewed mike for an upcoming podcast because mike went to norway a couple of years ago and he went there investigating fake which is interesting norwegian yeast and just the way he talked about how it's co-evolved alongside humans and he actually compared it to dog breeds, which I thought was super interesting. Yeah, well, it's the, that kind of, it is domesticated in a way, in that way. And yeah. People breed, breed yeast for specific traits as they do Dachshunds and Golden Retrievers. So this book, How the Sugar Fungus Shaped Civilization, the author, um, he talks about yeast being a secular deity, something to be revered as much as the warmth of the sun. And it might be easy to overlook the importance of yeast. I think a lot of people would think of yeast as being, well, you use it to leaven bread and use it to make alcohol, but 
neither of those things is essential to human life. You can eat unleavened bread or just other stuff. And plenty of people don't drink alcohol. But plenty of people do drink alcohol. And it was this, but I'm only halfway through it at the moment. But he, he talks about how yeast has co-evolved alongside humans. And there's evidence of humans fermenting alcohol from 3.2 million years ago in Africa. Yeah, well, there's a, yeah, a long history, for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the things that, I mean, even though uh, yeast has evolved alongside humans and it has become domesticated, I mean, if you leave out fruit, you get booze in the end. Like, whether, it, whether that's tasty booze is, is something else, but yeast is just there, it's in the air. And there's palm wine, which is just from palm nectar that would have some rainwater in it, and yeast would fall into that, and you, you'd end up with just... 5% tasty, sweet, boozy stuff. And there's a theory, which is the drunken monkey theory. Yeah. Which is that uh, humans obviously evolved from bipedal apes and, and these apes were attracted to alcohol because, well, that's what's happening in very ripe and overripe fruit. Yeah. So just simply the aroma of sweet stuff fermenting draws you to the nicest, ripest fruits in the forest which is quite interesting. And there's plenty of talk about different kinds of animals consuming alcohol, and he busts a few, a few myths around drunken elephants and things like that. Well, I was about to mention drunken elephants. Yeah, it's not really a thing. It's not? Nope. Ah. So those videos you see online of elephants having a load of those amarula berries and then getting drunk, it's, it's not physically possible for a mammal that size to get drunk. They'd have to consume so much alcohol. So, but obviously they do act strangely and unsteadily. So it's something that's unknown whether there might be something that affects them mentally in a psychotropic way or whether it's just simply a sugar high that affects them. But it's definitely proven that it's not, they're not drunk, although something else is affecting them. And then there's um, Saccharomyces, which is the variety of yeast that we all make alcohol with. Uh, and of course, yeast just being a kind of fungus which is the third life form. Fungus is weird like that. Yeah, so everything's either a, a plant or a creature or a fungus. And, and it's so interesting that fungus has more in common with you than it does with a plant. Well, there's intelligence in mushrooms and fungus. Intelligence? Yeah, in a way. There's an intelligence, there's, there's a lot of, um, well, studies and experiments being done where fungus finds the correct roots and they uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just starting to learn more about fungus. There's interesting stuff about slime molds. I'm not sure if they're a fungus, but um, they, how um, scienti scientists use slime molds for city planning. Yeah. And how they, um, they, they put down a map of a country and they put f food sources as, um, as markers in proportion to where the population in the country lives. And then they put some slime mold um, on that map and the slime mold finds the most efficient routes and connections between uh, all, the, all the people and places and, and they did some interesting comparisons between how road networks have grown up and the slime mold map that is generated mm. and how, particularly in younger country, in older countries where um, things have grown up from small villages and people finding routes between places rather than um, kind of engineered routes where so the maps are almost identical of like, yeah, the, this creature found these most efficient routes in the same way that people did. Yeah, the route of leaf resistance. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, I've, I've got an, another book about fungus lined up to read afterwards, Entangled Life, which looks wonderful. Um, but there's, yeah, so, so this book, The Rise of Yeast, uh, talks about developments of yeast as a sort of medicine. At the moment, there's developments on an anti-malarial drug that's based on yeast. And of course, there's all kinds of alcohols that exist in the universe, like methanol, vinyl alcohol, ethanol is what we have as booze. But there's quite an interesting thing that you you may have heard about, Matt, but there's a, um, there's a big cloud around the Sagittarius B2 cluster in the universe, which is a gigantic cloud of alcohol. I think there's a few people trying to crowdfund a trip there. <laughs> well, this cloud of alcohol that just exists, obviously it wasn't created by yeast, it was made in a, in a different chemical way that I don't quite understand. And I don't think any scientists actually understand how it's there. But the, the cloud of alcohol is so big that it weighs about the same as every planet in our solar system. <laughs> five Jesus. times over. That's a lot of booze. <laughs> That's a lot of booze. <laughs> it's going to put us all out of business, I tell you. <laughs> and uh, moving on from yeast, what are your recommendations for the week? Well, on a much more lowbrow note, I saw a, a skiing YouTube video that was incredible. Um, it's called uh, Speed Riding Through an Alpine Resort um, from Avoriaz with Love. And it is just this really cool video of an abandoned ski resort in the French Alps. And it is a Red Bull kind of promotional video, but it's uh, the skier called Valentin Deluc. And he is para-skiing, so uh, jumping, um, I'm not sure how he starts, jumping off a mountain or uh, a helicopter with skis and a parachute. And he's parachuting over this resort, skiing on the roofs, grinding down the uh, ski lift rails. Um, and it's this uh, abandoned resort and it's just this incredible feat of athleticism and it's absolutely gorgeously shot as you expect from something with those kind of production values but um yeah it's just really i'm, I'm a big sucker for all those extreme sports videos um like skateboarding and uh, skiing and snowboarding and all those kind of impressive physical feats and it's just a really cool and different kind of eerie in a way um stunt video that is worth checking out uh, and so you can see that on youtube uh, from aboriaz with love a-V-O-R-I-A-Z, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's, yeah, absolutely incredible piece of, yeah, piece of stunt riding and filming. Yeah, Brilliant. yeah, beautiful. This beer's pretty nice. It is. And, uh, yeah, from one stunt YouTube video to Canyon Stunt Juice, um, this is our Beer Joke Beer of the Week, uh, from our second Beer of the Week in a couple of weeks from Canyon Brewing uh, down in Queenstown, and it is a dry hopped pilsner. So I had a chat with Kit, who's now the head brewer at Canyon, and we'll be uh, we'll hearing that at the end of the show. So we'll be chatting a bit more about his experience, and uh, he just recently became the head brewer, which is great, and how they pivoted thanks to COVID, because of course it was just a brew pub, and then they started packaging to get the beers around the country. Yeah, well, um, with the lack of tourists trade, trade in the town, it's, uh, a brewer's got to do something, and yeah, it's really great that they have. They've been putting some really cool stuff into cans, um, and from an awkward little brewery, it's, um, I think we, we, we touched on this last time we spoke about Canyon uh, when we were talking about their Blue Door Pineapple Daiquiri beer a couple episodes ago, um, but it is po- probably the most beautifully situated brewery in the country. It's right in the valley overlooking the shot over jet and... In the canyon, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, the shot, the shot over jet literally runs around the brewery. There's this beautiful old bridge uh, over the canyon. 
I'm just cracking into another Kenyan beer now. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's a, it's a really great uh, family venue. They've got um, kind of a cornhole and a sand pit, live music, and um, this tiny little brewery tucked in that they're trying to get make the most out of. Um, their storeroom and their mill is um, separately up the stairs from the brewery. So they've got a um, mill in a whole separate room and auger it down and uh, it's pretty awkward to navigate, but they're doing some really cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely worth a visit. And yeah, just really limited small brewery. I think it's 600 liters, the yeah. brew kit. Yeah, and, it, and it's just a couple of minutes out of Queenstown. So um, if you're in the area, so it's not in the town itself, but it's not hard to get to at all. Well, this dry hot Pilsner is not really a conventional Pilsner, is it? I think a German or a Czech who drank that Pilsner would be pretty offended. <laughs> um, but it, that's not to say it's not delicious, um, It's uh, but it's unconventional for sure. It's got um, a bunch of, uh, it's, it's more heavily hopped. I mean, they're advertising it as a dry hop Pilsner, so it's got uh, Citra, Taiheke and Nelson Sovin in there. Tons of Nelson I got out of that. Yeah, like really kind of that um, uh, grassy kind of catty Mm. Um, a note to it. I also brewed with a lot of um, oats and wheat, so it's a bit more full-bodied uh, than your traditional pilsner. It doesn't kind of, it's got more in the mid-palate, doesn't uh, sit as crisp um, as you'd uh, normally expect from the style. Well, it was made with a lager yeast and it was cold stored, it was lagered. But yeah, super unconventional. It, as you say, it was delicious. And for, it's a low-ish alcohol, it's 4. Oh, 4.6. But it's not, um, I think we're quite used to unconventional pilsners in New Zealand, and probably a lot of Kiwis, when they think of pilsner, are actually thinking more of uh, the New Zealand pilsner, which I know you've got some strong feelings about. <laughs> it's a bullshit style. <laughs> yeah. um, well, uh, I think Luke says that because a lot of uh, the uh, New Zealand pilsners that you see, or New Zealand beers that are advertised as pilsner, um, are fermented with an ale yeast, not a lager yeast, as is traditional for pilsners, and they're more heavily hopped. So I think that given the rise of XPA as a style, most of them would probably be more like more more likely classified as an XPA now, if the Pilsner name wasn't so popular with people who are used to drinking lager, who are like, oh, lager and Pilsner, they're synonymous, I'll get that Pilsner because it's delicious. It's like, well, what you're drinking there is an XPA, mate. And some, yeah, some New Zealand Pilsners are absolutely delicious. So like Hopped Upon Pils is one that's been around for a while from oh. Behemoth. Oh yeah, like Liberty Halo, uh, yeah, there's not to say those beers aren't delicious, mm. but I mean that uh, New Zealand Pilsner has just been added to the BJCP style guidelines. That's the beer judging certification program. Well, exactly. And, and who am I to say it's a bullshit style? It's it's literally in the BJCP guidelines as a style, and New Zealand Pilsner is qualified as. Yeah, well, it, it's a um, a dry hopped uh, version of of a pilsner, uh, often fermented with ale yeast instead of a lager yeast, which is. Yeah, uh, as I said, the, the Czech and German proponents of your um, uh, your classic uh, Pilsner Urkel and stuff like that uh, would probably uh, scoff at it being in, uh, in the same category. Um, but that's not to say it's not great beer anyway. But this beer from Canyon is not a New Zealand Pilsner style. It is uh, it, it's yeah, it's a, a whole kind of, other unusual kind of Pilsner. It is. Um, but it's, it, it's nice. It's, it's clean. It's refreshing. It's um, Even though it's got that oat and wheat there, so it's not as crisp, it's still... Um, uh, nice and nice and bright. It's got yeah a lot of those kind of uh, catty grassy uh, hops rather than your kind of tropical or citrus. Um, and yeah, it's a nice beer. It's nice. It has the rounded body and massive hoppiness. So yeah, I think if they'd have, if somebody's a fan of hazy pale ales, then they're gonna love it. Yeah. 
Well, um, as we move on, we're just uh, cracking into another uh, can of, from Canyon that you might have heard uh, Luke crack into there, which is a Blueberry and Thyme Sour, which is part of their uh, Rapid Session series. It's their um, kind of uh, rotating 440ml can range. And uh, what do you think of that, Luke? I think it's good. I, I was reading the can before, and it's, it's Blueberry Thyme and Cinnamon. And I was struggling to imagine what those flavors would be like together. But I think they, I think they meld nicely, and I think the the cinnamon's just really lovely. Can, can you get the little cinnamon? Yeah, I was th thinking about it. As it's almost like it's a adds a kind of pie crust element, kind of a short crust pastry. Mm. So it it drinks like a kind of blueberry pie. Uh, I don't get a lot of time. There is a kind of a vague herbal hint there. It's not as strong as in uh, our mum, for instance. Yeah. Um, but it is a really nice. It's got a a really good level of tartness. It's a proper like uh, poppy fruitiness uh, that comes through. It's a, a real kind of genuine berry flavor coming in. Uh, amazing color. It's just mm. a, a really lovely, ready, deep color and nice and light bodied, quaffable, really refreshing. Yeah. Um, Great work, kids. Yeah, it's delicious. Moving on to new news and uh, something that is not light and refreshing. Uh, we were very excited to see a video from uh, Liberty Brewing this week uh, that the legendary, uh, quote-unquote, best beer in New Zealand, Prohibition Porter, has just gone back into barrel. Yes! Um, Jack Daniels barrels. Jack Daniels barrels. Um, first use, I believe, after after the, after mm. the bourbon. Um, beautiful uh, dark foam coming out of those barrels, and uh, that's going to be ready in about nine months. So we're really excited to see that beer come back after a little bit of a hiatus. Such an incredible beer, um, one of the greatest beers in the world, and stupidly affordable. Yeah, really, stu really stupid. Just the work that goes into it, the expense of those barrels, the, it's generally about 12 or so percent ABV, it's it, it's a, a true masterpiece, Prohibition Border. Yeah, well I've heard some really interesting stuff about how that beer is brewed. Um, traditionally when uh, you're making a beer, you put your barley, uh, your grain in your mash tun, um, you you steep it in in your hot water and then you run off the liquid and then you carry on so um my understanding is and sorry joe if i get this wrong um or if it's a secret i don't know <laughs> um but um that uh, they mash in uh, the beer they run off uh, the liquid then they take the grain out of the mash tun put fresh grain in and then put the liquid that they uh, mashed in uh, with the first time back in the mash tun so there's no dilution you're getting all the sugar out of that second load of grain as well and then they do it again so they do three separate mashes with the same liquid um and before um uh, sparging it all out and then uh, um then boiling it apparently it's an absolute pain in the ass because after you're mashing in your third time your grain gets all sticky and it's impossible to drain through and um it's a, a labor of love that is well worth it it's a flex. Yeah. Another labor, labor of love is the uh, Nine Barnyard Owls uh, project uh, that uh, Braden from uh, Fort Brewing has uh, on, on underway. Yeah. So Nine Barnyard Owls, uh, Nine Barnyard Owls is uh, Braden Owlinson's brewery. It's a um, uh, An anagram. Anagram of his name, which is where uh, it came from. Although I believe he is also farm fond of owls. Oh. And for a few years now, maybe four or five years, uh, Braden's been just 
busily working away on his wild fermentation project. And he's been uh, collecting wild yeast in the uh, in amongst the vineyards where his family uh, where his family lives, and he's been taking some into his cool ship and just fermenting in the very traditional way, the same as we see in Brussels, and creating some very interesting things in limited batches. And of course, these processes, similar to when Garage Project's Wild Workshop first kicks off, they take time. It's well, not as though you can just create some beer and then release it two weeks later like you would with a conventional beer. Yeah, well, he's been he's been working on this stuff since he was the head brewer at Tuatara through his time at Choice Bros and now at Fork. Mm. Um, and so this, um, so what, what happened with him is some rats got into his barrel room. Damn rats. Uh, where he had just blended a, uh, a product of three years worth of cool shipping, which is um, spontaneous uh, fermented barrel aged beers, um, off uh, some of his own harvested Montel, Montelpulciano grapes. Um, so four years worth and multiple harvests and huge number of blue days just being blended into an IBC. And the rats ate through the airlock and spoiled the whole thing, which is must be devastating for him. It's devastating enough for me, and I was just looking forward to drinking it, let alone all the labour of love that he's put into it. So um, our heart goes out to Braden there um, after putting in a hell of a lot of work and having it ruined by bloody rodents. Yeah, absolutely gutted uh, to hear that. Such sad news. Which kind of links into uh, the book I was talking about earlier about yeast, which uh, I've just looked it up. It's Nicholas Money that wrote The Rise of Yeast. And interestingly, just as a one of the many throwaway facts in there, he talks about when yeast started to be cultivated by humans around 10,000 years ago. Where, so all yeast comes from China, Saccharomyces, which is mm -hmm. the, the yeast that we ferment with. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's the earliest um, th that we've been able to find uh, use of Saccharomyces in the same way that all humans come from Africa and all ducks yeah. All ducks come from China as well, interestingly. And chickens, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so chickens were domesticated a little bit later, but around 10,000 PC when we were domesticating yeast, we... Um... I'm just shaking my head at Luke before he goes off on a chicken tent. I shouldn't have brought it up. But it's about the same time humans were domesticating cats. So obviously there was a theory that humans settled in the fertile crescent so that they could harvest their barley to... Uh, so that they could make beer with it, but maybe that is uh, a reason why we domesticated cats, so that they would hang around in our homes and stop the rats from eating our barley. Yeah, well, that's the hope. So I don't know if Braden has a cat or not, but maybe we should look into it. We'll get one now. Um, so the other bit of news this week is that uh, Yeastie Boys uh, have uh, sold a bunch of their shares. 12.5% the business has been yeah. sold. Um, so um, that is to, uh, I believe, a small venture capital company, and uh, I think Stu McKinley has been uh, uh, talking about it. Um, you can read a full article on brewsnews.co.com.au, uh, I believe, um, uh, where um, there's a bit of a piece about it, but um, Yeasty Boys have been um, trying to grow, and, and they've been operating a really unusual model for a while, Yeasty Boys. Mm. Uh, as many of you might know, they started off uh, uh, brewing down at Invercargill Brewery, um, many years ago um, and have been operating a, a, that contract model before um, Stu moved over to the UK um, and uh, started contract brewing over there, contract brewing with Nomad in Australia. So it's a truly international brand and 
they, you haven't seen as much of them in New Zealand as you have, as, as we would have liked, because we love their beers, mm. based on the fact that Stu's moved to the UK and absolutely blown up there, gone into supermarkets and seen some real growth. And now um, with this uh, investment uh, through venture capital, they're looking to uh, grow some more and they're uh, talking about reinvesting in New Zealand, which is exciting to hear. Well, the business has actually shrunk somewhat in the last year, which has been a bit sad to see, international, well, worldwide. And the Yeasty Boys got delisted from Tesco's. Ah, uh, that'll be an issue. Yeah, which is it, a big problem. Because they had huge volumes of Big Mouth going through there, I think. It, it was amazing talking to Stu just about the amount of beer, of one beer skew that they sold to Tesco, being larger than the entire amount of beer they'd sell to all of New Zealand. Yeah. And uh, so, so that's hit them. Also, of course, COVID's hit pretty hard in Britain. Yeah. And uh, pubs being closed. Uh, and people in the UK are thinking that hospitality and on-premise will be a shrinking area anyway as people have got used to living at home for a year and a half yeah they may not be rushing back to the pubs they've, yeah, they've got used be a to shame. um so that's uh yeah so definitely some interesting news from yeasty boys but yeah we we hope that uh somehow it will mean that we get some of their beers in new zealand because they have some incredible recipes and and great people on to new releases for this week um we've had a bunch of new beers come out as always uh, we have already talked uh, in detail about Reflection of Narcissus, which is um, available now. Um, I'd say wherever good beer is sold, but there is not enough of it, so you can get it from us, or you can get it from Double Vision and not many other places. Um, Duncan's, uh, the uh, ma toasted marshmallow imperial stout that I already talked about, um, and also an oat cream hazy. Uh, so that is um, a hazy IPA brewed with uh, heaps of oats and lactose, so it's got kind of that big creamy uh, body with some uh, tropical hops coming through. Castles have put out the f uh, first seasonal releases in cans. So they, they've just um, put out their core range in cans a little while ago. Um, and now they have released their Nectar Double IPA, a Brute IPA, and the one that everyone's really excited about, their Triple Cream Milk Stout, which is uh, obviously the Milk Stout is one of their, their, their flagship beer, uh, multiple gold medal winning, uh, and their, their Double Cream is a big seller. And this is a big 9% version of that, which is uh, really cool to see. And the labels are crazy. Yeah, they're absolutely insane. They're very weird. Um, I think they're going to be extremely divisive. There's kind of they're calling them the artist series, and okay. I'm not sure who the artist is, but they've kind of blown up that art all over the can, and you've really got to check them out. Uh, there's some Russian writing. There's a weird hand with an eye in it. There's a, there's a crab. It's all, there's a lot going on. Yeah, pretty strange, but cool and great seeing a relatively traditional brewery uh, pushing new boundaries. Yeah, definitely. Something else which was pushing the boundaries um, is Choice Bros uh, Poison. So it's a new hazy IPA that they've released uh, with a new product from Freestyle Hops uh, called Cohere Nelson. And this is a really interesting and exciting thing that I'm hoping to learn a lot more about and maybe do some work with, is it is a botanical and hop blend. So my understanding is uh, that it is a blend of Nelson Sovin hops and passion fruit that has been treated in some way, uh, that's what I need to learn more about, um, and blended into a single pellet. So as well as the hops, you've got actual fruit in the pellets that you're putting in the beer. Um, so that's going to be a really interesting experiment. Uh, freestyle hops are describing it as um, the first of their um, hop and botanical blending experiments. So mm. it's a really interesting area as people, as, as a fascinating new technology in the beer industry and may change the way that uh, beers are hopped and ingredients are added to beers in the future, which is going to be fascinating to see. It's pretty innovative. Can we speak to them about doing a blend with uh, Mandarina Bavaria and bananas? 
you can speak to them about that. Yeah, got onto it. You, you, you've got, you're on your hobbit now. Okay, cool. We'll see how that goes. Um, on top of that, um, from Maiden Brewing, uh, we've got a couple of re-releases. The Multiverse Peach, uh, which is his Kettle Sour back in a 440ml can, as well as his Lightspeed Lager. Abandoned have the West Coast IPA that I was uh, talking about earlier. Uh, Garage Project have put out a Sierra Nevada collaboration. It's a, a brewery that we haven't seen much of in New Zealand, but um, has a huge reputation as possibly one of the most influential breweries in the craft beer movement with the release of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Iconic. Icon absolutely iconic and torpedo and stuff like that. So this one here is uh, Camp Out, which is a vanilla and honey porter. So it's more along the traditional porter style. So uh, less you kind of big, thick, sweet, milkshakey stuff and more your kind of dry, uh, roasty porter. And um, so it'd be interesting to see what the reflection, uh, the reception to that is. I enjoyed it. I popped into Garage Project Kingsland on Saturday. They had their uh, snug day, which was lovely. I didn't get any vegetarian pies because they didn't have any vegetarian pies, sadly, but I'll, I got over it. And- uh, You're still talking about it. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that, Camp Out Porter was released as a series that Sierra Nevada did a whole bunch of collaborations. I think it was about four years ago and they came and shared a stand with Garage Project at Birvana. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, um, Sierra Nevada had a big collaboration project um, going on, uh, which I believe was to support the California wildfires. They did mm -hmm. a bunch of collaborations with breweries all over the world. Um, I think it was called the Campfire Collaborations or something along those lines. Um, and um, they did um, a few with Garage Project at that time, which got released at Biavana. Um, but they uh, did a bunch of other ones um, all around the world, Yeah, which is a, a cool project. Well, I'm keen to see reviews on that because although it is a honey and vanilla porter, more than that, it's a, it's a lovely roasty porter. And it's become quite a regular thing these days that people complain if there's an adjunct on the front of a can that they can't massively taste in the beer and the beer does not taste like huge honey and huge vanilla it's it, you you would think it was just a bit of sweetness from the malt so yeah as much as i enjoyed it i, I think that people with uh people with palates for sweet things might be a bit disappointed yeah the last new release for this week is boneface ace of spades which is a mocha milk stout uh, so uh, now that uh, Kelly Ryan has got his feet well and truly under the table at Boneface, I'm really interested to see if they go in any new directions and excited to try that. Other than that, uh, we have branched out on the online store into a range of um, some of your higher end and interesting RTDs. So we're looking at other things that people would like to drink. So we have ranged uh, a bunch of seltzers. We have uh, part-time ranges, uh, some scapegrace gins. Uh, some uh, blended stuff from Clean Collective and Rinse. So if you're interested in anything that isn't beer, we've got a bit of a range there as well. Uh, but what's happening at the Fridge and Flagon this week, Luke? Oh, it's been a really big week at the Fridge and Flagon. This Monday, we had the BJ Run Club New Members Night. We had nearly 40 people turned up. Oh, great turnout. Yeah, yeah, good to see uh, lots of old friends and a few new faces. And we had some good giveaways and things. If you're listening, BJ Run Club happens every single Monday, 5.30, we run 5Ks. Then we drink some beers and it's a really social good time. Coming up, we have got a comedy night. Yeah, so um, we when we had uh, the Beer Joke Bunker up on Simon Street, uh, we ran a regular comedy night with uh, multiple Billy T, Billy T nominated uh, comedian Tim Batt. Uh, you may know him from uh, The Worst Idea of All Time, a regular panelist on stuff like Seven Days and Are You Paying Attention? Good podcaster. Yeah, like he has his own podcast network. <coughs> hey Tim, Tim. <laughs> 
<laughs> Tim, you're listening. Give us tips. Um, yeah, so um, he's got a great comedy lineup uh, uh, set up for us for the return of Hunt Comedy. Uh, so tickets are only twenty-five dollars. Um, you've got uh, Eli Matthewson, Tony Lyle, uh, Ed Amon, and a couple of others. Uh, I don't have the list in front of me, but um, it's a, a really cool comedy gig. Um, it's going to be a, a lot of fun. Twenty-five bucks to see some world-class comedy. Brilliant. And this Friday, we've got our mates from Baby G Burger are coming back. I love it when they come back. Yeah, yeah, but people are bloody crazy for Baby G Burger. Yeah, they, they just pack it out. I don't, don't know where they get all the people to come from, but they show up. So. I, I guess TikTok. Oh, probably whatever the kids are using. But they're so good burgers. <clears throat> yeah, and I think next week, next Friday, we have the launch of our Triple Pepper Triple. Ah. Uh, uh, our next Small Gods collaboration, so keep an eye out for more about that. And then, of course, there's Jabs. We've, jabs. We've been doing some work on our Gabs Replacement Mini Festival, and uh, we have some awesome beers lined up. We've got um, a couple of sneaky barrel-aged releases that we've managed to get our hands on, a couple of new releases um, from a couple of top-tier breweries like McLeod's, we've got Parrot Dog, we've got Eight Wide, uh, Alibi, and uh, a bunch of others, so it's going to be a really cool day. Uh, so that is on and Baby G Burger back for that as well so that's on Saturday the 3rd Saturday 3rd of July it's got to be a really fun time yeah for sure that's about it from me and that's about it from me thanks for listening everybody if you're listening and not too offended by how terrible we are at podcasting uh, please feel free to give us a review because that's uh, how people can discover our podcast yeah and uh, if you want to find out more about Beer Jerk if, uh, if you found us through some other means uh, you can find us at beerjerk.co.nz, at beerjerknz on Facebook and Instagram, and you can join our Facebook members group at NZ Beer Jerks. And we'll see you next week, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Clint, hello and welcome to the Beer Jerk podcast. Thanks for having a chat with me. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Um, well, I appreciate that you're in the middle of a very hectic day down at Canyon, so I promise to keep this interview pretty brief and focused. Um, but our members drank the Blue Door collaboration a couple of weeks ago, and then this week they're going to be drinking their stunt juice. So looking forward to hearing a little bit about both of those beers. But also, I think for a lot of our subscription members, it may have been the first Canyon beer they've ever had, the Blue Door. Yes, I, I believe it was. Um, good to finally get some beers to you. Um, yeah, I've, yeah, I've wanted to do that for a while, so... Um, yeah, stoked to stoke to have them coming your way. Hopefully that will continue. Well, maybe we could kick off with um, you telling us a little bit about the, the origin of Canyon and, and the sort of changes it's been through recently, because it's still a very new brewery. And then I'd love to ask you a bunch of questions just about yourself and your personal journey as a brewer and to being the head brewer as you are now. So yes, when, yes. Did, when did Canyon start? So Canyon opened up. Uh, it would have been early 2018. Um, it was set up by a company, a tourism company in Queenstown called Real Journeys. Um, mm. And it was basically it's a seven hectolitre um, brew house. Um, and it is a, undoubtedly a, a brew pub, not a production scale brewery. So um, reasonably small, fit into an extremely small space. And they've done a good job um, of that. But uh, yeah, it's there are some things on it that aren't ideal. Um, and, and yeah, so really up until now, it's just been pre-COVID, pretty busy just distributing around Queenstown and central Otago. And now I guess we're, we're trying to change that 
we've got a three-head ABE filler. Um, so we're now canning all of our products and um, getting them out into the, the wider market. Well, it's not a lot of beer, really, is it? That, that small size brew kit. I, I can totally imagine that you'd have just been getting through it all yourself. But then suddenly with COVID, the brew passed the close and that beer yeah. that you may have been cranking through suddenly becomes a lot of beer. Uh, yeah, exactly. Queenstown, uh, middle of summer, middle of winter, there was, I guess, so many people there and so many outlets, like one of the, the, the most uh, amount of bars per capita in, in the world. Um, so uh, then that basically dried up in a big way. And we just commissioned our canning line, I think it was in January. Um, so there was about two months, uh, two months worth of of um, production in, in cans. So we didn't have it in supermarkets, we didn't have it anywhere, and then COVID hit, and then basically that came all crumbling down. Um, so we basically came to a halt. Uh, our bar basically um, didn't open up. Um, so we basically were just relying on external customers, and then we, it was kind of like a blessing. So we were actually able to step back and kind of really focus about the beers and kind of like change things up and take basically take it in a slightly different direction um, to kind of where it's at now. Um, the beers undoubtedly before that were a little bit safe, um, but now we're trying to kind of like um, shake things up a touch and, and um, be fun and exciting and do fun stuff essentially. So um, yeah, it's, we're, in a, we're in a good spot. So yeah, now um, the, the new owner, um, James Nicholson, he, he took that over in, in January and is coming in with like a, a really fresh approach um, with a, a awesome vision. So yeah, it's exciting times. Um, and he's a, he's a fun guy. So it's definitely um, it's a fun place to work. Well, I think perhaps even more than, than most New Zealand brewers, just seeing you guys pivot has been really impressive just to go from being, you know, a busy brew pub to being a production brewery and getting beers around the country and having these beautiful cans of, of really excellent beers you guys are putting out some really good stuff thank you very much yeah, it's good to good to hear that from a man like yourself who uh, is a very knowledgeable man yeah pretty fussy about beers well what's james's background is his background in hospitality yeah so he is hospitality so he previously previously worked at it was like the hilton in uh queenstown and then he and i think it was two years ago he um started a cafe um, in uh, Frankton, down by the marina called the Boche. Um, and that's like absolutely cranked in the last two years. And I guess wanted to get into something new. He didn't really have, I mean, he, he loves beer, but didn't really have any experience in brewing or any of the kind of production distribution kind of side of things. So it was a, it's been a hundred percent a learning experience for him, um, but super enthusiastic. Um, and we've got some other um, really good guys on board now. So um, kind of got a good idea of where we want to go um, and yeah he's just always up for new ideas and things and collabs and yeah basically getting the beer out there as much as possible so um, yeah he's a, he's a go-getter. Oh, it's often good having people that have a maybe a good sense of business but have fresh eyes that perhaps haven't worked in beer and uh don't necessarily come to it with preconceptions can either like i know tell um tell me to shut up and and and, and says that won't work or he just he doesn't have the uh, yeah some of those um i will think something's a great idea he's like nah won't tell <laughs> or just kind of like he's uh, not a, not a, not afraid to, to humble me put me in my place but then also he is a lot yeah very new to a lot of things um so it's, it's really good to kind of 
um, always get his perspective on it. And then uh, uh, we've got a, um, a new sales rep. Um, he is he's undoubted bear nerd. Um, so we've got a good like back and forth, um, a healthy argumentative relationship, I think you'd call it. The beers that you're choosing to brew and the names that you're giving them and everything else, it's, uh, that is, is that a real collaborative effort? It's not just you having free reign as the brewer? Um, I guess the names, I don't even really know where the names come. It would be a combination of uh, me. Uh, I guess it would be me and, and, and James, Jimmy. Um, and mm. we just kind of go back and forth with, until we find something that kind of sounds like there's no real rhyme or reason to, to why we call things. So we, I guess we do have, uh, I mean, the, the core range of, well, I'd say 80% of the, the beers that we do kind of have a bit of a mountain theme to it. Like it's definitely what, I mean, we're literally underneath, I'm looking at a, a mountain right now. So it's definitely um, a part of our branding and where Canyon kind of lies we're like in the middle of a canyon hence the name um so yeah that is a lot of the, the focus of our, our brand names and mountain orientated adventure orientated so um yeah that's kind of the, the gist of that i suppose well that's a really good point for a, a lot of people listening that haven't visited you could you uh, quickly describe your location compared to queenstown um so so we're like a little um i guess like called a village in the Arthur's Point. So it's kind of just around the back side of Queenstown. Now, a lot of people will know the shot of Jet. So we're basically just right opposite that. So um, as you go over the, the shot of the bridge, which is pretty famous, I guess, um, we're like literally just right off the road underneath there, uh, which is about a 10 minute drive outside of Queenstown. Um, 10 minutes out of Queenstown and 10 minutes out of Arrowtown, kind of smack bang in the middle. Your beer garden has some pretty amazing views. Oh, it is, it's undoubtedly one of the best spots um, in Queenstown. Pretty cold in winter, but we've got some like, nice gas heaters and um, gets nice and warm. It's a little bit out of the way, but it's um, definitely what's one of the most picturesque places to drink beer in Queenstown. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to imagine a more beautiful place to sit and drink beer. Go, go, for, a, go for a jet boat ride and then come with a beer, or other way around, perhaps. <laughs> Perfect. When did you join Canyon? I've been here just shy of two years so i would have started out and i guess was here for uh whatever that was um september till march until COVID happened and then kind of um it's been i guess a, a slow build back up to normality since then um and then yeah i've recently just taken over the hebrew role um basically in the last the last month so um uh yeah it's been it's been good just um getting everything in order and um figuring out all the things to, that I have to do and uh, it's been great um, and getting to yeah stick my stick my teeth into it well congratulations on the the new role and uh, so you. what's that what's that going to mean are you, are you thinking you're going to continue as you are or do you think you'll increase the releases or focus on the core range we're really wanting to focus on the core range and really establish that and and basically with that new sales manager is to push some of that into the North Island. Um, we're thinking about doing like a, a hazy mix pack so we can really push that into uh, lots of places um, so people can get a real taste for the, um, the core range. But I mean, yes, it's on trends right now, um, obviously. Um, so that, that 
would be uh, we, that's what we think is is going to be the best offering for us we as i said before we don't have the biggest um brew house so our capability to put six cores into a six pack is um a little bit um at a stretch for us mm. um uh, while we're still wanting to be able to you know release those um seasonal beers and 440s and whatnot so um we can keep that like interest high and kind of keep doing like different different stuff so we're we're looking at basically doing like a, a, a seasonal every month um while keeping on top of our core um and we've got small small batch stuff where we're doing um we're doing some cider and cans and um and, and stuff which is probably about every once a month we're doing just to keep on top of that um but yeah definitely uh the the seasonal is something that i am definitely going to try to push because obviously that um gets me excited to brew new new beers essentially um but i have to come back to the point where i mean core is i guess as the name suggests the core of your business so um really have to keep on top of that and consistency um immaculate um so so yeah it's going to be i guess it will it will be a, a ever evolving thing um and we'll just have to adapt to that and, and hopefully do that well well, when I visited the brewery earlier this year, I was really impressed with your lagers and pilsners. And um, yeah, really excellent. And I think it's a it's a style that especially a lot of smaller breweries struggle with. And I guess it's to do with temperature control and time in the tanks and everything else. So I'm really happy that we've got Stunt Juice Pilsner coming up as the beer of the week this week. Uh, but could you tell us a little bit about Stunt Juice? Yeah, sure. Um, so... That beer would have first been made like December of last year. Um, and we we were kind of umming and ahhing about wanting to, well, we wanted to make a Pilsner, but what direction we wanted to um, take it if we wanted it to go quite traditional, kind of like late edition Saz, um, go super traditional or do like New Zealand Pilsner, dry hop Pilsner. Um, and we kind of landed on, on the, I guess, the more crafty, um, end of it um so we wanted to kind of take a, a classic pilsner base just pilsner malt and then add some adjuncts that you'd find in a hazy so we actually do add quite a high amount of wheat and we've got a little bit of oats in there to give it some body um and then just uh um i guess a, a healthy dose of new zealand hops um on the the back end of the the boil and uh, a nice subtle dry hop so nice and clean a little bit of bitterness and then kind of I, we, we use uh taiki nelson so then raka on that so um uh um yeah we basically just want to create a nice smashable beer 4.6 percent um yeah super refreshing but it's got a nice kind of like kiwi crafty twist to it it's a yeah really great beer all year round um and yeah we initially wanted to call it a like a hazy pilsner um but like one of the, my pet peeves of is like putting uh, you know if, if, if i'm going to put hazy in there it, it has to be hazy and i wasn't we're still using a um a, a, a lager yeast and i just i know that it was gonna it's gonna drop right even if there's a tiny bit of haze in there initially that it would drop right over time so um we uh didn't do that um uh, but we yeah we did everything we we would do with a hazy so we're you know not finding it um uh, mm. mid fermentation dry hopping and, and no kettle findings or, or fermentation findings. So, um, yeah, just I guess, um, nature of the process and trying to, yeah, get a bit of that, bit of that, um, classic hazy, uh, hop character. 
maybe unfiltered could be a good word. That's a good unfiltered. Mark. Yeah, I guess, I guess that would be the uh, would be the the, the right uh, soundbite to use. It's so funny marketing terminology, and I, I always think about. I don't know if you ever watched the TV series Mad Men. No, I haven't. And well, it's about advertising in the in the nineteen fifties and sixties, and just in one of the early episodes, they talk about I think Lucky Strike cigarettes as their client. And they come up with a tagline, it's toasted. And the guy from the cigarette company says, well, that's just how you prepare tobacco. All tobacco is toasted. 100%. And that is one thing that I, um, I'm definitely not. I'm still learning <laughs> in, a, in a big way. I mean, you can yeah. have the, 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 the same beer, but present it in a different way. And people's perception of it will totally change. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, I mean, a constantly evolving thing that I'm learning about, which is great. Um, and the the beer market is a, I mean, you look at it five years ago and it's totally different. So it's just you kind of kind of having to stay stay on trend and look what's um, I guess they look over to America and other places to see um, what they're doing there and and then just try to be ahead of the game in New Zealand and um, yeah um, yeah and figure and figure it much, out while we go. You're right, and, and as much as we all do want to objectively judge the liquid and that's the most important part. You you can't help but judge a product based on what it's wrapped in, you know, what the can is, what it's called. And, and I think oh, that's why we see a lot 100%. of the same. I'm, a, I, I'm undoubtedly a sucker for it as well. I've never tried a beer. I mean, that's my first protocol, I guess. As well as doing some good lagers, the collaboration with Blue Door was really delicious. And when I challenged you last, you were talking about... Um, perhaps that might be a continuing thing that's going to be a series of collaborations. So maybe you could just uh, tell us a, a bit about what Blue Door is and your relationship there. Um, so the Blue Door is this tiny little hole-in-the-wall bar in Arrowtown. Um, and as the name suggests, it basically it's just got a really cool old-school Blue Door um, as the entrance. Um, and there's a couple of guys um, in there, um, Ollie, PJ and uh, Ross, are just like absolute legends, amazing bartenders. They just make the best cocktails. Um, and they just uh, approached me, um, approached me one day, and they said that they've got um, quite a lot of hops in their their back garden, and see if we could like do something with them because they make a cascade, or that they they um, I can't remember if they use the hops in their, their garden, or they just had like teeny pellets, but they had a cascade infused. Um, rum which they then made a pineapple backer out of um and they said could we try to make a beer that tastes like that with the hops that we've got in our back garden and i said oh okay let's let's see how much hops we've got and to my surprise um so they probably picked about 15 kilograms worth of um uh, fresh hops which was incredible um considering the size of the back garden it was like a very dense uh it was a bit of a hot mess but um yeah we just thought we would try to make a um, a beer that had the remnants of the pineapple daiquiri. I, there was this fine line. I'm like, I'm not going to add rum to it. Um, so I was just trying to get the, the the most amount of flavor that I could out of that, out of those hops, um, while still trying to maintain the integrity of, of the beer, not making it taste like a cocktail, but getting some of those like fruity um, characters from from those hops and uh, obviously there was some um, other ones that I added to that as well to try to um, bring out that flavor. But yeah, it's been awesome. Um, super nice guys and they're super keen to, um, we've actually just, we've already 
um, already done another collab. So that bear is going to be ready in about two two weeks, which is exciting. Amazing. Can you tell us what that's going to be, or is it under wraps at the moment? Oh, no, no reason why I can't tell. Um, so that is going to be a um, old-fashioned IPA. So it's kind of like a double double use of the word. So um, going a little bit more like old school in terms of like more. Um, but I actually uh, I used uh, old black forest rye from Gladfield. So like crystal rye, a little bit of light crystal undergo for that, but more multi IPA, um, and then going for like really. Um, citrusy orangey hops and then actually add some angostura bitters in um into the uh whirlpool so basically just trying to uh, imitate what is a old-fashioned so rye bourbon angostura bitters um and sugar so um basically trying to imitate that in a beer while still making it ipa orientated um so yeah i had a little try of it yes uh yesterday and it was tasting bang so yeah gonna be six percent um multi hoppy um yeah i'm excited oh brilliant we definitely need to get some of that in nice that's um, awesome so yeah it's been um good because they've got like a they've got definitely got a um they've got a flavor orientated brain so we just every time we get together we usually, usually have like a beer and um just talk about flavors and what could work well in a beer and um yeah and just kind of go from there spitball ideas good fun brilliant <laughs> You've got a, got a few people in the background there. Yeah, we're just, uh, I'm just sitting outside in the um, outside of the, the brew pub and a few people just came down from the shot over jet. So maybe I'll Brilliant. I, I can hear the birds singing. It sounds sounds lovely. Uh, well, I know you've got a hectic day in the brew house today, so I'll try and keep it brief and get on to the last few questions. Uh, could you tell me about when you personally first got into drinking good beer? Uh, so back... Uh, when I was at university, um, I was studying chemical engineering um, and basically kind of as most university students do, I drank a lot of beer, um, albeit pretty crap. Um, so I started like home brewing from the kits as you do. Um, and then that kind of like progressively changed into getting a, a small uh, uh, all grain setup and just did that with my mate. And so that kind of like got me excited about beer. Um, it was definitely um, economy and quantity back then, um, but it kind of slowly progressed into the equality side of things as um, years went by. Um, and yeah, I kind of got introduced into craft beer, probably would have been like, yeah, last year at university, so that would have been like 2013. Um, and it's just kind of been a, a slow burn into um, and into where I am now, um, just getting bigger home brewing kits. And I got my, I actually, started off um, distilling. So I was a distiller for about uh, three and a half years um, and then slowly converted to, um, to, to brewing, which I'm very happy uh, where I am now. Um, so, so yeah, kind of just as most people, I can imagine started as a hobby um, and then kind of like found my way in via my degree. Um, I'm definitely not a chemical engineer in, in here, but there's some things that um, kind of cross credit and help me um, fast track my way to the, the brew floor, I guess, um, and having a general understanding of science and physics, chemistry, all that kind of um, stuff really, really helps and still does. How did your background in distilling affect your approach to flavour? 
Oh, it's a... or, or didn't it? <laughs> it's not, not really that relevant. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just a, it's a very, um, it definitely does, does help. Um, it is, uh, it's a much different process. It's a, all, all the, the mindset about how you, I guess you approach creating something is a lot different, especially for where uh, I was, uh, I mean, I, I kind of like compare it, the, the difference to, um, cooking and, and baking. Like okay. when you're like brewing is cooking, you're, you're, you're like, it's a very, um, process oriented, um, process where you're like constantly um, adding evolving um, you've got like um, if it doesn't work out well you can quickly just like make it again or make adjustments along the way um, and you get better at doing that whereas distilling is definitely a lot more um, a recipe orientated and basically once you've started the process there's not much you can do and this small thing you can do um, to change that but that you're basically your end product is kind of locked in there and it's, it's I, I would say it's not as fun because it's once it's going, you kind of just have to wait, do your cuts, um, and then you're and then you're done. Whereas beer is just like there's so many um, small things that can go happen along the way, which can make the biggest differences um, in the beer. So I guess it's it's more process orientated opposed to flavor orientated. I get um, like I haven't actually had the opportunity to do much. Um, uh, oak, uh, playing around with oak here at Canyon yet, but uh, I guess you, from, from working with a whiskey to sort of get a good understanding of oak, but I've, I've yet to be able to play around doing some um, some fermentation in there, but hopefully that's going to happen at some point, maybe when we get a bigger brew, but um, but yeah, I, yeah I, I still love the selling and um, being able to create gin and whiskeys is, is awesome, but um, kind of beer is where I'm at at the moment. Um, I would like to be able to do a um, a collab at some point with a distiller, um, but um, yeah, just gonna stick my head down and think about beer for the moment. Well, that just seems to be a bit of a trend with craft brewers all over the world getting into making gins and hot sauces, interestingly. So it'll it's be funny, interesting to funny you, um, <laughs> funny you say it. Sorry to cut you off there, funny you say that, but um, <laughs> I uh, I've <laughs> I've just um finished labeling a bunch of hot sauce today. I just, I made about a thousand bottles. Oh, Sorry, brilliant. Put, plug, plug my own, uh, plug my own hot sauce here. But I, uh, yeah, I just, uh, again, yeah, uh, it's like a, it's fermentation, um, different fermentation than beer, but yeah, it's just like let, let go fermented hot sauce, bunch of fun flavors. Um, it, yeah, it does definitely seem to be a thing that brewers do. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun. Oh, awesome. I definitely need to get my hands on some of that. Oh, well, I'll send some up to you next time. Oh, well, I'll put it in the, in the delivery that we're sending out to you soon. Oh, amazing. And last question before you get back to it. Uh, you are stranded on a desert island for the rest of your life, but there's a magical beer tap that is never ending and can pour just one beer. What is your desert island beer? That's a, that's a tricky one. Uh, I, I would say I've probably said this for a, a wee while, and I uh, I always go back to it when I see it at the supermarket. But the the, the eight wide cucumber Berliner Weiss, the cucumber happy, is yeah. always such a banger for me. I'm a I'm a sucker for that beer. Um, yeah, I I, had, I probably had that maybe like 
four years four years ago, um, and yeah. just I just love it. Um, if I get a, if I get a second option, it's gonna be cheaper and get a second option. If that if uh, that runs dry, um, this uh, I've never seen it in New Zealand, but uh, Duvel, so over in Belgium, they did like a um, like a dry hop triple. Yeah, um, which was like unreal. My my mind. I went up went over to Belgium. Would have been. 2019 and spent some time in uh, Ghent and Bruges and stuff like that and the beer would just blew my mind out. Oh, really nice choices. Well, that cucumber hippie is going to be pretty good in the, uh, yeah, on the sunny desert island. Yeah, yeah, no, good, good go-to. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks so much for um, ducking out for a chat and hope you have a good rest of your day in the brewery and Really excited to see what all our BJEP members think of the uh, the stunt juice. Have a great day. Bye. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Luke.